Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here with you in person and to have you join us uh, virtually as well. Uh, This morning, we're going to be looking at Luke 19, where uh, it talks about Jesus uh, coming triumphantly into Jerusalem. And uh, we we traditionally celebrate this as Palm Sunday, where um, I'm going to try not to run into that. Um, where um, many of the crowds and disciples laid down palm fronds in front of Jesus as he entered into Jerusalem. And we, we use this week as well to mark uh, the start of Holy Week as we look forward to Easter and the coming Good Friday, where Jesus uh, paid the price for our sins and the coming Sunday where he was resurrected. And uh, as, we, as we enter into this week, we can take time to Uh, reflect on Jesus's life and his mission and how he lived and how in turn we can live through him. Um, But Palm Sunday or or the triumphal entry, uh, I'll use those interchangeably this morning so don't get too lost where I'm at. Um, It's an important yet it's a very dividing event in the Bible. Uh, It's it's one that causes us to reflect on our own journey uh, and it offers us a choice as well. But uh, before I get too much into it, let's, um, let's look at what the scripture says. So grab your Bible. Uh, we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 44. And I'm realizing I don't have my Bible up here with me. So if you want to throw that text on the slide, I'll read that. Nice. Awesome. I have this scripture memorized, if you're wondering as well. Just uh, like to have it up on the slide, though. Uh, Luke 19. <laughs> After Jesus had said this, uh, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached uh, Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, uh, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And he went along, uh, and as he went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, he wrote, the whole crowd, man, this is an eye test right here. uh, The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God. And in loud voices, for all the miracles they had seen him do. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within the walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Um, Okay, before we get too far into this passage, um, if you'll bear with me for just a couple moments, I've always found it difficult to focus on this whole story or, or Palm Sunday in general because I always get hung up on one detail where Jesus tells a couple of his disciples to steal a donkey. And I mean, on top of that, the owners, like they ask the disciples why they're taking it, but then they're like, oh yeah, okay, the Lord needs it. Go ahead, take my donkey. 
if it were me, I would have asked a few more questions, but apparently, while I was studying this week, I did find out that it was normal during that time period for people to ask. Um, if you were a dignitary or a high official or even rabbis, uh, it was common for them to ask for people's animals to use. So if you had the same question, that's why. Um, nothing to where we're going this morning, just an important detail I wanted to iron over for those of you who would get stuck on that like me. Uh, but that's not what we want to look at today. Uh, like I said, when Jesus enters Jerusalem, it's, it's a very polar atmosphere. And what I mean by that is that there's a lot of contrasts in this, this section of scripture. I mean, at, at first we see this crowd of people uh, praising Jesus, laying down their cloaks and their palm fronds, yet at the end of this same week, the same crowd ends up yelling out, crucify him. Uh, we, we read of the crowd praising him as the Messiah and calling him king, yet at the end of the week, he's killed like a common criminal. I mean, there are even the disciples, a group of ordinary men, uh, a lot of them were fishermen, even tax collectors, and they praised Jesus as the king, yet the Pharisees, the people who were trained in the word of God, who should have known that he was the Messiah, they end up being the ones to betray him. They being the ones to judge him. And they failed to recognize him as the Messiah. And it, it brings to mind uh, the time in Luke where Jesus says, do you think that I have come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. Now, I, I was always confused at that passage. I was like, why would Jesus want division? He's a God of unity. He's a God of peace. Would he not want us to get along? And yes, of course he does. But that's not the point of what he's trying to say. Jesus isn't talking about unity here. He's talking about belief. Jesus brings division not as his purpose, but as the outcome of what he does, as the outcome of the offer that he presents. Because Jesus, he causes division, but it's the choice that we make that causes that. To believe him or to follow what we think we know. And today, I want to talk about that choice that we have. I want to talk about the choice that we have to follow him uh, and how following him is really for our own benefit as well. So at the end of um, this section that we just wrote, or read, sorry, um, Jesus speaks a prophecy that a day is coming when Jerusalem would be hemmed in, encircled, and destroyed. Uh, and all the people inside would be dashed to the ground. And he says all this happens because the people at the time did not recognize the time of God's coming. Essentially because they didn't recognize who Jesus was. They didn't see him as the Messiah. And because of that, their failure to recognize Jesus as the Messiah would eventually lead them to the downfall of Jerusalem. So how did the people view him? Well, we know from the context here that the disciples and um, some of the crowd saw him as the Messiah. Uh, but the Pharisees were so caught up in their idea of who Jesus should be that they completely missed out on who he actually was. You see, the Jewish people were under the Roman rule. They were conquered by the Roman nation. And so nearly all of the Jewish people thought that the Messiah was going to come and set them free from their enslavement, from their rulers. And he thought, and many, many of the Jewish people believed that God was going to come in power and with armies and wipe out the Roman nation. So when, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and not on a war horse uh, and leading a bunch of common fishermen, tax collectors, and ordinary people instead of a legion of armies, they don't believe him. They don't see that that's 
the Messiah, because he's different than what they were looking for. They wanted Jesus to come with might and power, not with humility and peace and gentleness. They wanted a God who would destroy their enemies, not tell them to love them. You see, their their inability to see Jesus for who he was cost them. And so in 70 AD, Jerusalem fell, um, and the prophecy came true as Titus and the Roman nation came and invaded Jerusalem. Uh, Now, we don't actually see this prophecy written in scripture. Uh, We see it in other historical documents. And, And it happened exactly like Jesus said it would, which is really I mean, it shouldn't really surprise us. It's Jesus giving us um, this prophecy. But the city of Jerusalem was surrounded. The Roman nation encircled uh, the city for four years and starved the people until eventually they gave up and surrendered. And in in, uh, one account, the account of Josephus, who was a a Jewish historian at the time of these events, uh, he recorded that um, there were a few walls that remained, but because of the intense fighting and the, because the Jewish people resisted so strongly and the Romans were so angry with them, uh, they tore down the entire city. And at one point it even says that uh, the ruin was so great that it was difficult to believe that anyone actually lived in this town at one point. Okay, apart from giving you a, hist- a history lesson, why am I actually telling you this? Um, well, Jesus' prophecy came true, and these things happened, but it wasn't because of punishment to the Jewish people. These things didn't happen because Jesus told them, you know, you didn't recognize that I was the Messiah, so I'm going to do this to you. And it wasn't that the downfall of Jerusalem was Jesus's way of getting back at the Pharisees for not believing in him or whatever. It was because they failed to recognize Jesus. It was the outcome of their own choices. Their failure to believe Jesus as the Messiah would inevitably lead their downfall. It wasn't that Jesus was punishing them. It's that the direction that they were going would cause this. You see, because in 66 AD, Jerusalem, or the, the Jewish nation um, decided to revolt against the Romans and decided to take back Jerusalem. And because they thought the Messiah was going to be one who would conquer, who would rule over in strength and power, they saw that he wasn't coming. They saw that, well, the Messiah is not here yet, so we have to take matters into our own hands. They so strongly believed that Jesus would conquer their enemies that they completely missed out on what he was actually doing. So they took back Jerusalem, and they actually managed to defend it for four years um, until it eventually fell to the Romans. But what would have happened if they had believed in Jesus? if they had recognized him as the merciful king and not as the conquering leader, uh, these events wouldn't have happened. If they believed that the Messiah wouldn't overthrow the Romans but call them instead to love their enemies, then they would have been spared from this pain. And, And Jesus knew this. That's why in verse 41 it says, he wept over the city because he knew what was coming. He knew that if they didn't accept him as the Messiah that it would lead to them trying to conquer Jerusalem. And again, finally, it led to their downfall. So what does this mean for us? Uh, Well, first, I think we can catch a glimpse into the way Jesus created the world. Jesus didn't force anyone to believe in him. He simply presented them with a choice. I mean, the Pharisees, he didn't force them to listen to him. He offered them a choice. And he offers us that same choice. 
He's given us the freedom to choose between following him and following our desires. And the amazing thing is that even when we inevitably fail, even when we choose to turn towards our desires instead of towards Jesus, that he still forgives us. Because every single person that was there at the triumphal entry as Jesus came riding into Jerusalem would later betray him. Every single one. Now, I can't specifically say everyone, but we find out from the context that the fickle crowd that proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah later yelled, crucify him. The the Pharisees who listened to many of Jesus' teachings and saw his miracles would then bribe Judas to betray him into their hands. Even the disciples who witnessed almost all of his miracles and were there for all of what he did and actually recognized him as the Messiah, even they betrayed him as he was arrested. Yet, Jesus died for every single one of them. Jesus died for the repentant disciples. He died for the unfaithful crowd. He died for the proud Pharisees. And he died for you and me. And because of this, he offers us a choice. To follow him or to turn to our desires and the habits that draw us away from him. Now, a few weeks ago, Dustin preached on uh, the vine and the branches. And, and in it, he talked about how difficult it is to abide in Jesus, to remain in him, to not constantly turn to the things that draw our attention away from him. And it's difficult to keep our focus on Jesus. It's hard to not turn towards the desires that, that take away our freedom that we have in Jesus. And we have the choice. In, in Genesis, God describes sin like this. Uh, He says, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. And in Revelation, at the end of the book that we read is truth, uh, Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he will eat with me. We choose which door to open. And thankfully, there is grace and mercy and forgiveness for us when we make the wrong choice. Proverbs 24:16 says though the righteous man falls 7 times he will rise again. Now the disciples, I don't know if you if you've read many of the gospels you realize how stupid like us they are. Um, they made tons of mistakes. I mean, Jesus even accused Peter of being Satan. Yet he ended up being the man who Jesus would use to build the entire church. Our pursuit of Jesus is marked with mistakes and failures that we can't fix. And our role isn't to shame ourselves about our past. It's not to worry our way out of making future mistakes as well. It's about trusting Jesus to help us, to help us along the way. Because following Jesus isn't about making a decision one day and then doing whatever for the rest of your life, never having to decide again. It means waking up every day and choosing to follow Jesus. But the amazing news is that in Lamentations, it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never fails. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. You can wake up every day, every single day, knowing that even though you messed up yesterday, even though you said those things to hurt your spouse, even though you turned back to that thing that you said you never would, That Jesus' mercy and love for you is just as great the 5,000th time you fail as it was the first. Our walk with Jesus isn't measured by how many mistakes you make. 
but it's measured by how willing you are to come back to Jesus after you make mistakes. We simply need to choose Jesus over the shame, over the fear, over the desires that draw us away from him. But the reality is that sometimes making the wrong choice will cost us. The reality is that when we go our own way instead of following Jesus, we fall into a lot of harm that is avoidable. Uh, it, it reminds me of a, uh, the joke about the man who predicted that the Titanic would sink. Uh, he went to great pains to try and alert everyone. He, he went to people in authority and tried warning them and provided them with evidence. He tried talking with um, just business owners and telling them and persuading them. Uh, he even bought, uh, or sorry, persuaded trying to the people who bought tickets. Uh, and, and no one eventually would believe him. He was silenced from every corner in spite of all the evidence that he put forwards. And eventually he was forcibly removed from the cinema. There we go. That was bad, I know. Uh, <laughs> throughout uh, the Gospels, Jesus warned the Pharisees of their actions because he knew that the path they were on would lead to pain, would lead to death. And in the same way, Jesus desires to help and transform us, but when we choose to listen to our sinful desires over him, it can cause us a lot of pain. And we can have mistakes in our life that are just natural consequences or that cost or that have natural consequences. Because many of the Pharisees failed to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, and eventually it cost them their homes and their family, which is why he wept on their behalf. He knew the pain it would cause them. So when Jesus works in our lives and encourages us to be more gentle and patient with those around us, when, when he calls us to love those that we don't really like, or when he encourages us to be faithful to those who haven't been faithful to us, he asks these things of us for our own benefit at times as well. In Proverbs 11.6, it says, The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. And in verse 17, it even says, A kind man benefits himself, but a cruel man brings trouble on himself. Yes, bad things happen to the obedient and the disobedient alike, but there are parts of our lives and things that we can avoid of suffering if we allow Jesus to transform us, if we're willing to trust in him and follow him. Jesus asks us to be selfless so that we don't focus on our own problems and become overwhelmed by them. Uh, he, he doesn't want to take away your addiction because he wants you to suffer. He does it so that you don't cause unrepairable damage to your body. He, he asks you to love others so that you have your attention set on the opportunities that are put forward in front of you, not on the things that cause you to complain. He leads us for our own benefit. And avoiding that preventable pain, I think, starts with recognizing Jesus in our life. The disciples, despite their constant failure, still recognized Jesus was working in their life. They, they saw the miracles. They, they saw him teach, and they chose to accept and trust in him. The Pharisees, despite their near-perfect righteousness, still failed to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. They saw the miracles. They saw him teach. And they chose to accept what they thought instead of what he was telling them. As one author puts it, acceptance of Jesus leads to great blessing while rejection leads to great pain. And we are faced with that same choice. So 
what does it mean to accept Jesus or how do we do this? Um, and I, I would just ask this question then. How aware are you of what Jesus is doing in your life? Do you recognize him working? Do you, do you see him giving you help or guidance? Now, I'm not going to lie. There's many days where I have a difficult time seeing Jesus in my life uh, because I'm so focused on the things that I need to get done. I'm so focused on the tasks that I'm behind in, the frustrations I have with people, or I'm even still sometimes focused on what I want him to do that I miss out on what he's actually doing. And when I focus on these things, I'm always more anxious and overwhelmed. And I become frustrated that God isn't getting on board with my plans. But when I turn my attention to what God is doing and working in my life and what I can see him doing, I'm more at peace. I can rest knowing the world doesn't sit on my shoulders, it's on his. I can trust that he will take care of my problems that I can't take care of. So, as I close, I want to give you a challenge this week, uh, something that I think might help you turn your attention towards what Jesus is doing, because, like I said, it can be difficult when there's a lot of things going on, a lot of distractions, a lot of things to take our attention off of Jesus. Um, Simply try this. I want you to thank God at the end of each day for one thing, just one thing. It can be something big, it can be something small. The other day, I stepped outside, and it kind of hit me that it smelled like rain, and that almost brought me to tears. I was like, God, thank you. Uh, just recognizing him for the little things. But I'd encourage you, just find one thing in every day that you can be thankful towards Jesus for. It might be something small. It might be something large, whatever it is. But as we turn our attention to Jesus, we can recognize him working in our lives more and more. And the better we get at this practice, the more on board we can get with what he's doing in our lives. So take a moment each day this week, And try to thank God for one thing you see him doing in your life. I'm just going to close this in prayer here. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that in everything, God, you are faithful. That you don't abandon us, God. That when we make mistakes, that you are present alongside us to help us up. God, we ask that you would give us the ears to be attentive to you. The eyes to see your working in our lives. God, we thank you for the fact that you pursue us even when we walk away from you. In all of this, God, help us to set our attention towards you, to recognize what you are doing in our life. And Father, we thank you for the good that you are working. Help us to trust in you as we lay our lives down before you.